But when you think about the biathlon, um, man, it is gruesome. It's gruesome. Cross-country skiing, uh, over nine miles of cross-country, uh, not much downhill going on. Uh, you've got a, you know, eight-pound uh, rifle you're, you're carrying. In fact, some of you guys, it's probably the most shooting you've ever seen in church before. That was pretty crazy. Uh, but you've got a lot of uh, weight on you. Uh, you got four different times you're stopping and shooting. You got two times that you're you're laying down. You got one time you're, you're standing up, and you got to hit targets. And if you don't, you get uh, obviously more time that you got to go around and, and ski if if you don't hit the target. Um, and and, I, and think about that. That that's what life is like. Uh, life can be hard. Life can be um, gruesome at times, and and on our bodies it can zap us of energy. We can. Um, like the biathlon, we, we need discipline. We need self-control um, because often we can get distracted. You think the biathlon, there's many times as maybe on that course that there's temptation to get distracted by things. And when they get to that time where they've got to shoot, they've got to hit the target, um, they've got to be fixed. And, and this morning, what, what I want to talk to you about real simply is this, the staying on target. Staying on target. Um, you think about the table. We've been talking about it for uh, a couple months now. Uh, we're going to diverge from James. We'll be back at it next week. Um, but you think about the table. Often during the week at, at my table, um, in times that we're gathering to eat, our conversation, what we're talking about often, uh, goes back to purpose. It goes back to uh, our aim of life, of why God created us. And and just reminding around the table, hey, what, what's God's target? What his, what's his goal for our life? What's his goal for this season of life or this event that he's taking you through or this circumstance? Let's go back to what's the target? And I think that's important for us to do and because sometimes in life it's easy to get distracted from the target. Uh, it's easy to get knocked off track. And so this morning, real quick, what I want to talk to you about is, is what is God's target for us? What's, what's his aim? What's his purpose? And for some of us in here this morning, this is stuff we've heard before. This is stuff we get. But it's a good reminder to remember what our target is. And so think about this morning. What is our target? Um, in Psalm 19.1, listen to what Scripture tells us. The psalmist says this, it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of God's hands. Think about creation through Genesis chapter 1 for the first five days. What does God say after he creates on each day? He says, it is what? It is good. It's good. As God steps back and sees his handiwork, and what he sees is he sees his glory being displayed through creation. As you woke up this morning, the sun came up again. God did it again. And creation shouts to us of, of the glory of God. It's telling a story. It's speaking of the majesty of God. And that's what God has done through his creation. But, but what about you and I? His creation has a target, but, but what about you and I? The Bible says that on the sixth day after he created us, man, in his image, it not just says good, it says very good. You see, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. And our target is the same as the creation. But God has specifically made us with a wonderful purpose. 
And that purpose is just as creation is to speak of the glory of God, so are we as well. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus. And then listen to the last part. And for Jesus. Everything has been created with an aim in it. And the aim is for the glory of Christ. It's why you and I were made. It's why we have the breath that we have this morning. It's the reason we put our two feet on the floor each day. Westminster Catechism asked the question, what's the chief end of man? What's our aim? What's our target? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's why we're here. The Apostle Paul tells us whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, what do we do? We do it all for the glory of God. That's why we're here. That's the target of our life, or at least it should be. We believe as a church of this truth that how do we glorify God? As you look at the New Testament, uh, we believe it's being a disciple. To be a disciple and to make disciples. That's the focus of our church. To be disciples and to make disciples. To be a disciple is seeking to become like Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us in Matthew 1025, a a wonderful verse. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, it is enough. I like phrases like that. Less you give me, the better. But it's basically saying less is more. And what is that more? It, It means this. It is enough that the disciple become like his teacher, the slave like his master. Christ's goal is that we would become like him. That the disciple would become like his master. Not only that, as disciples, that we would follow Jesus. Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23, if you wish to come after me, what must you do? He says, you must come after me. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus says that's what disciples do. They follow me. Disciples also... Jesus says, love God. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, they love God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, he says also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so disciples know Christ, they love Christ, and they love like Christ loves. The New Testament tells us that's how we are to hit God's target, to live for the glory of God. And not only that, not only are we to be disciples, we're to make disciples. We know that, as Matthew 28 tells us in 19 through 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all men, of all the nations, of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's our target. As Christ's disciples, as his followers, that's the target that he wants us to hit for his honor, for his glory each day. Jesus modeled that. That was Jesus' target. The Bible tells us that he was fixed on that. In fact, in Luke 9, 51, I want you to see this verse. Listen to what it says about Christ. It says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, the time that he would go to heaven, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That word determined right there is an interesting phrase, interesting word. 
It means literally that Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. He was resolute about going to Jerusalem. Why? Because literally at the white hot center of God's glory is his love. And Jesus was set on something. Because what was going to happen in Jerusalem? It was going to end with his ascension. But what was going to happen was the cross. His sacrifice. His substitutionary death on the cross. Where he would lay his life down. He would bear the sin of mankind. And bear the wrath of God upon that sin. Upon himself. So that we could know God. We could have a relationship with God and have eternal life. And then the resurrection. That he would overcome death on the third day and overcome the grave and raise to life and live here in the glorified body for 40 days before he would ascend to heaven. That's what he was resolute about. That's what he was determined about. His face was set on that target. In fact, he prayed about this in John 17, verses 1 through Five, listen to what Jesus spoke to the Father about as he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He says this to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, speaking about himself, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was passionate. He was passionate about the glory of God. And he wanted us to know him. To have eternal life. And so he was fixed on that. He was resolute about the glory of God and the work of the cross. And the resurrection. And eventually his ascension that would bring him, obviously, the glory which he once shared with the Father in heaven. But he was resolute. What was he resolute about? A target. God's target. His target for his life. When you think about being resolute, when you think about being determined, it, it makes me think of a, a time with, with my oldest son. Uh, we were on a, a hunting trip. This was last year. It was his second hunting trip. It was my second hunting trip. And I'm not much of a hunter. Um, I know you can probably get that a little bit, but I'm not much of a hunter. Uh, biathlete, you betcha. But a hunter, no. Um, but I'll never forget. It was, it was the second time we've gone and, and with a buddy from here from the church and, and his son and the four of us were in this blind. A blind is kind of a, a little uh, shed type stand that you get into to, uh, to hunt out of. And um, we're getting in there and, um, and by the way, if I mess up on hunting lingo, just understand, I'm just not, that's just not, I'm not a hunter. So you guys that are hunters and do that, uh, just bear with me. Uh, and so we're in this stand and we had been there, in there, I don't even know if it had been 30 minutes. And so usually you wait. I mean, that's what, to me, that's what hunting equals, waiting, a lot of waiting. And it's usually cold. And so then, then you start questioning yourself, why am I doing this, right? Um, <laughs> and so we're sitting there in this blind, and it had been like 30 minutes. And it was the coolest thing. My, we, we were pretty you know, tight in there. And I was sitting down, and my son was sitting on my lap. 
And so I, w- I was sitting like this, and, and he's sitting with his legs over here with, with his rifle out the window, and he's just sitting on my lap. And, and I'm sitting here. There it is. That's good. And so he's sitting on my lap right now. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, surely at some point we're going to get up and move around, and he's not going to sit on my lap any longer because my legs are asleep now. And so, but uh, it ended up being pretty cool because about 30 minutes into this, he, he all of a sudden, he's like, Dad, Dad. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I see two deer. No, you, and I'm thinking in my mind, no, you don't. Because sometimes when you're out there, you think you see something, and you, you don't. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I, I, see, I see two deer. And I was like, okay. Of course, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, shoot it, <laughs> you know. But you don't, you want to be careful, and you want to be wise. And so our, our buddy, Eric Downport, uh, wisely, you know, directed Noah what to do. But I, I love this shot because um, he is, he's fixed, Right? Now, the end of the story is we go home with deer meat, all right, just to, to save you all the gore and stuff. That's what happens, all right? But I love this because he is, he is resolute. He, he's fixed. He, he has his face set on his target. And, and that's the kind of determination Jesus had. And, and that's what he wants you and I to have, such a fixed setting of the face, resolute on our target. That we would be passionate about the glory of God with a determination to be disciples that, that make disciples just as Jesus was. But here's the deal. Since the fall of man, we've all struggled with something. And it's focus. And no other time in history do we have more than an unprecedented experience with distraction than we do today. You think about it before, distraction in life. Pastors used to speak on how much time we watch TV. What's happened today is our TV's got smaller and they're with us 24-7, right? And so distraction and distracting us from the target is a real everyday battle. That all of us could cut, walk in this room and say, hey, my name is Jerry, and my problem is distraction. All of us could, could, could do that. In fact, often this is, this is what it looks like. I don't know if you can see the table up here real well, but often this is what it looks like. I mean, life. So we've got our laptop here. We've got the iPhone here. We've got all different sizes of screens, right? Um, and even sometimes when we go out to eat, um, what happens a lot of times, you've got a family of four or a family of six, and, and man, they've got this going on, Right? They've got this going on, and, and not to uh, throw families like that under the bus, but it's real. And so we get distracted from what used to be a time when families would get together and, and talk to where now it's this. And, and, and thank goodness restaurants even provide these now, right? <laughs> I mean, thank goodness to them, and it's only $1.99, right? Uh, restaurants hate me, by the way. And, and I, I walk in there, and the first thing I do to a table is I take that thing and I move it to another table. And... Uh, course when it's time to check out they're like hey where's the thing that was there I was like I don't know I think it's somewhere over there uh you know hoping that somebody else will get my bill but anyway <laughs> that never happens and that, that really never happens so but we get distracted we get distracted off the target and see our electronic devices there's some positive things about them there's some positive elements of having them but there's some negative ones as well. Research shows that we don't read as much 
We can barely read a book today because of the effects of technology. We're becoming conditioned to distraction, and it's harming our ability to even listen, to think carefully, to be thoughtful, to be still. It affects us spiritually as well, to read the Word of God, to pray, to spend time and to think and to meditate on the Word. The danger of distraction is this, though. It's shifting our focus off something great, of great importance, to something of much lesser importance. And so here's how this looked last week for us. And I told my kids, I'd, I'd throw them under the bus a little bit this morning. Okay, I pre-warned them. So um, we're driving to the mountains, and we, we see the snow-capped mountains, and we're driving along the Arkansas River, and you're seeing animals and different things, and, and I saw a bear, right, guys? I saw a bear. They said it was a cow, but... Uh, it was definitely a bear. Um, so that's what we did. Um, and so we're going up. Um, thank, thank God for, for Young Life, the Wimberleys, for inviting us to come out and speak at, at uh, their family ski retreat. I think some 200 people there. And, and just what a blessing. It was a blessing to us and totally humbled by the experience. And so I wanted to show this one. This is my four-year-old. Uh, I did a selfie, and she's crazy. I had no clue she had her tongue out and was being crazy girl. Anyway, she was kamikaze uh, on the uh, slopes. But anyway, that's her. But I wanted to show you real quick. This is what, so we're driving. This is what we see. And so it's hilarious. My wife and I are up there talking, and we're, like, talking about what we see. And, like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, we were pretty, we're like kids in a candy store. This is amazing. And so as we keep driving along, um, we looked at each other and like, I wonder what the, kids think about this because we're not hearing them. And so my wife turns around and she's like, they're on their devices, you know? And, uh, which, which, part of the trip, you want that because that refrains from fighting, yelling, hitting, and uh, anybody getting tossed out of the car. So, which helps. But, but they're seeing, we're seeing this. And so finally we turned around and we said, okay, shut the devices down. All down. And then conversation start. And, and, and for like an hour and a half, two hours till we got to our destination. It was just an amazing conversation of what, what we were seeing um, and just the beauty of it. Um, but isn't that life? Isn't that life? And it's just a little snapshot, but in that daily life where we do a lot of this and we miss this, I mean, how many of us thought that that would become our reality? But in a lot of ways, that's what reality has become. And so distractions are real. And there's many different distractions, and we all have different ones. This morning, it may not be technology for you. You may be a little more disciplined. But we all have different distractions in our life. And ultimately, the danger of distraction is shifting our attention away from God. That's the ultimate danger. Our tendency to shift our attention orientation from the object, capital O, the greatest object in existence, to countless lesser objects. This affects our relationships with each other. This affects our responsibilities, even the work we do. I think about sometimes during the week, um, say I'm studying and working on a sermon sometimes. One of my biggest distractions is that little corner on the right 
of my computer that, that reminds me of an email, tells me of an email. And, and, and that there's this urge sometimes just to, to go and click to see what it is, because it's that, that, that need to get things done. A lot of times that's, that's my issue, is, is I feel like, oh, I gotta get things done, gotta get things done. And if my mind tells me once I get these things done, I, I'll be free to do greater things or better things or things of more importance. And what ends up happening is when I'm done with all those things, I got more things I gotta do, right? And so we get distraction. We have many of distractions that eat at us during the day. But when we're regularly distracted, we've gotta take note. We've gotta take survey and step back and ask ourselves what causes our attention to run to other things. Because what our attention runs to ultimately is what is most important. It reveals to us what we love. And Jesus knew this very well. He understood it. And the enemy tried to distract him. And he had a friend that knew it very well as well. Look at Luke 10. I want us to see this this morning briefly. Martha was in the kitchen. She was busy. And listen to what it tells us. This great episode. It says, now as Jesus, the people he was with, were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And so we see the setting here. You got Martha. It's her home. Her sister Mary is there. Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus as Jesus is talking, teaching sharing. But Martha, it says in verse 40, was distracted. She was distracted. With all her preparations, she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried. You're anxious. You're bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, the greatest, that which is better, which shall not be taken away from her. And we don't know the setting necessarily. It just seems like it's a normal day. But this reminds me a lot of holidays, right? What about you guys? When Thanksgiving... Christmas comes around, busy in the kitchen, preparation. In the 9 o'clock hour, somebody says, no, that's my every day. <laughs> my every day. Feels like this. And so what was Martha distracted by? She's in the kitchen. Jesus is teaching. And what was she distracted by? She was distracted by serving her guests. We hear that and we think, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Necessarily, no, nothing's wrong with serving guests. But in this occurrence, this was a distraction. Why was she distracted by serving her guests? Because she was anxious. It says she was worried. She was troubled. But what was she anxious about? Think about when people come over. Think about the holiday time when you're preparing for people. How do you feel a lot of times? Especially some of the ladies in here. How do you feel? What? what do you start thinking? 
Maybe it's some thoughts like this. You're anxious about feeding everyone, making sure that everything tastes good and tastes right. You're anxious about the time, making sure that everything's on the table in time. In all likelihood, she was anxious about what everyone would think of her, what everyone would think of her household, of the meal. Did she do it well? What would they think when they left? Maybe what would they tell somebody? Would I make a Facebook post? I don't know, something like that. I'm sure Martha was worried about that. But Martha didn't recognize this distraction. She didn't see it as a distraction. In fact, she, she thought what Mary was doing was more of an issue. Look, my sister isn't helping me. But Jesus does something here. Jesus helps her see her heart. Isn't that what Jesus does? He helps us see our hearts. She thought she was doing the right thing by serving everyone. But Jesus pointed out to Martha that her values were disordered. They were upside down. She had shifted her attention from the greater importance to the lesser. Isn't it amazing how sometimes we tell ourselves often, no, these lesser things are more important. Le- I've got to get these things done. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And, and we'll put so much time on those things. And how often do we sit back and think, man, why do I do that? Martha was anxious. She was worried about what others would think. So when it comes to our busyness, we've got to ask something. When it comes to distractions, when it comes to life, we've got to ask, what is the real distraction? What does our heart desire? Psalm 27.4, I love what the psalmist says. He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in His temple. See, the psalmist had one thing that he wanted to be fixed on, and that was beholding the beauty of God. Knowing God, loving God. He wanted that good portion. He sought after the great one thing. So what about us? Is it that? Is that our target? Is that our desire? Is that our focus? Is that our heart's desire? Or is it something less? And so when we hear this this morning and we read about Martha, I really don't think Jesus is coming with a heavy hand. I don't think he's coming with with condemnation as we read about Martha. I don't think he's coming toward us this morning and saying, shame on you for, for being distracted. I think he gets it. Instead, he wants the distractions of our life to humble us this morning. I think he wants the distractions of our life to force us to turn to him and and ask of him and say, God, will you help me? Will you help me? Lord, what are those distractions? God, help me stay on target. God, give me better focus on what is better. Help me to know what is better. You see, God uses the distraction, I think, to help us strengthen our faith. To help us strengthen our self-control. It's helpful to remember this morning that when we we strengthen our self-control, we do that similar to how we strengthen our muscles. You, You ever thought about that? How God works? When we work out, when we run, 
What are, what are we doing? You ever thought about that? He strengthens our muscles through resistance. I mean, think about this. How many of us, when we go to work out, we're like excited about going to work out? Now, some of us are. Some of us are, I mean, we can't wait. We're, we're in the routine. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting thing. But some of us, when we're, when we're going to work out or we have to run, especially run, I mean, we're pushing the muscle of our mind just to get us to go run. And so it's resistance. Think about this. In Hebrews 12.1, listen to what the writer says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, he says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. What's an encumbrance? An encumbrance is a burden. Something that weighs us down. And he's going to say in just a second, let us also lay aside every sin that entangles us. And so an encumbrance specifically is not necessarily a sin in itself. It's not disobedience is what the writer is saying. So what is an encumbrance? An encumbrance goes back to the idea of distraction. It's whatever distracts us from what is best is what is better. It distracts us from running the race because that's what the rest of it says. It says here, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangle us and let us do this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so what is the writer saying? If we're going to run this race that God has set out before us, he has a target for our life. And this race that he has for us, a race is challenging. It requires strength. It requires endurance. It's not just some quick sprint. Hey, we're done. Did my thing on Sunday and I'm out of here. All right? It's not just a quick sprint. It is a marathon. It's 24-7. It is lifelong. It is running to the end. It's God's target and goal for us that we would live for his glory. And so he says here, to do that, we've got to lay aside. Lay aside doesn't mean put all our distractions and our sin right here and pet it every once in a while and welcome it back, right? Lay aside means kick it out. Lay aside means get rid of it, put it out to the trash, and let it be gone. Get rid of it. And, and so what are those distractions? And so we've got to pray. We've got to ask the Lord, Lord, help me understand, what is a real distraction in my life? So that our self-control would grow stronger as we push against resistance. There's no getting around. Then in a message like this, we've got to sit back and we've got to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing, one, to trust you with this. But two, I'm willing to put some faith, spirit-empowered effort in to work on this. Because this takes work. So what do we got to do? We got to pray. We got to pray. And we got to faithfully apply ourselves. Asking the Holy Spirit to give us self-control. To push away the distractions. Now for some of us, this, this may be easier. We may not battle level of distractions. Maybe self-control just, just a little easier. God talks about having different proportions of faith, different measures of faith. For some of us, though, maybe this is our constant struggle. We're just distracted. Squirrel. You know, I mean, just that type of thing. I'm serious. It's just some people are wired a little more different than that. And that's not 
to say that person struggles more and lesser because of that? No. But we all have different degrees of struggle. And, and, and more prone to it, especially in the day that we live in. And so we've got to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to fight. That's why Paul says to fight the good fight of faith. Because it is a fight. And we've got to resist. And so here's what I want to encourage you with as we wrap up. It's simply this. Is what should our life be distracted by? For some of us, maybe that's what, the way we need to think about it. Maybe we need to think about this as saying, I want my life distracted by Jesus. Now, some of us are going to say, well, Jesus isn't a distraction. He's, you know, I, I get that. I get that. I get that. But our life should continually be distracted by him. So what does it mean for like a guy like me? For me, it, it means this. When I get up in the morning... I got to make sure I get up early before the cattle gets rustling and they, I got to start moving them, right? <laughs> For me, it, I got to be the first one up or I'm done. I'm done. I mean, that's, 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 that's me. I got to get up. I got to have my time. With the Lord, I gotta pray, I gotta be in the Word. I gotta get my, start getting myself ready. <laughs> Sometimes my kids will tell you, I'm usually helping getting them up, getting things moving, and I'm telling them, hey, you gotta be doing this, because I get, now I gotta get ready, <laughs> you know? But for me, it, it, it's, it's, that's how I have to roll. I have to, otherwise, the distractions rule and start raining. If I don't start there, if I don't start there. And every morning, it's not perfect. Every morning, I mean, sometimes I get distracted. I might even get up early. And it, it's, well, I got to do this, do this, do this before this happens. So we've got to be resolute. We've got to have our faces set on the target as soon as we rise in the morning. Because in reality, what's laying on our nightstand? What's charging? Set it on the table. But it fits in your palm. <laughs> and a lot of times, what do we do? First thing we do is, what's the latest on Facebook? Right? What email came through the night? Probably nothing good except discounts at stores, right? <laughs> but what, what is that? Distraction. <coughs> Distraction. Can that stuff come later? Sure. But we can't let those things become a distraction. So the real issue is, what's of greater importance? Because whatever we let in, whatever we let, obviously, control, is what we value. So let Jesus be your great distraction throughout the day. Let him be the great interruption throughout the day. Let him rule, let him reign. Because we have a target. Our target is Him. That was Mary's target. Maybe our target. And so we may, may we stay on target, fixed on Him, living for the glory of God as disciples, as we make disciples, knowing and loving God, 
and loving others just as Jesus did. So let us be resolute and determined. Let's pray.